Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey there, it's Cindy, and you're listening to Basic Folk, where we have authentic conversations, honest conversations with folk musicians. That's what it's all about. And I am in my basement studio right now. I had to turn my little heater on because it was freezing in here, and then I turned it back off so it doesn't make the whir noise, so I do that for you. In this episode of Basic Folk, we're going to be talking to the delightful Anna Tivill, who is a Northwest singer-songwriter. She lives in Portland. We'll get to know her over the next half hour or so. One thing about Anna Tivill is that she writes character songs, meaning her songs aren't necessarily directly about her life, which I think is super interesting. She's pretty young. And she's very good at it, very good at looking outside herself uh, in interesting ways. And I want to say, due to popular demand, I will be playing a clip of her new song, Fence Line, before we listen to the interview, because people kept telling me it would be helpful to hear the musician that you're interviewing. It would be helpful to hear their music somewhere in the podcast. So... This is the third interview, and it didn't take that much for me to break down and put a clip in the interview. So if you have any feedback, please feel free to share it with me. You can go to my website, cindyhouse.net. Glad you're here. Uh, We're going to check out this song, Fence Line, from Anna Tivill, a clip of it. It's going to be on her LP, The Question, which is coming out on April 19th. And you're going to want to listen to all of her previous releases on Spotify or Hey!, Go download the album or go buy the vinyl. It's worth it. It's really great stuff. Okay, so here is a clip of Anna Tivill's Fence Line, and then we'll hear our conversation with Anna Tivill. Alone in the dark at the edge of the board A coyote call in the moon from the sky The bright shining eye of a circling vulture in holes in the old fence line Traveling far from the land of my father The red cactus flower and the weight of a crown The faraway barking of dogs by the water And holes in the old fence line Oh. 
Thank you for talking to me. Oh, thank you for having me. Can you tell me about where you grew up? Like, what your family was like, if you had any siblings, and what that relationship was like? Yeah, I grew up in a small town in northern Washington called LaConnor. My folks still live there. I have one sister who lives in Portland now. It's where I live. And, yeah, we're, it's a, amazing family we're all super close they're totally crazy and wonderful and they everybody played music there's I think my my mom was a total child of the 70s folk scene and went to Woodstock and your mom went to Woodstock she did she's very proud of it did she tell you about it uh, yeah she just she has told me a little bit about it there's parts she doesn't remember but she won't tell me why so to <laughs> to be discovered at some date what are, what are some highlights? She was really young. Her older brother took her there. And I think she, she was like, didn't know all the artists yet. And it was her, maybe Woodstock was her introduction almost to this crazy world where that many people could get together in an area and get along and be so in love with each other and smoke all the pot and sing all the songs. She tells me about some sort of like, a hundred joints tied together situation getting passed around and being like 16 years old, I think, and just getting her mind blown. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about your town? Yeah, um, it's totally a small tourist town, so it kind of runs on that. It's And it's by the Skagit River and the Puget Sound was in a valley. It's in Skagit Valley. It's a super beautiful place. They have a tulip festival every year, and that's kind of where the the income comes from. A lot of it in the town is that tourism. So there's just fields and fields and fields of tulips, and buses of tourists come in and take pictures of their kids, <laughs> and then they all leave. I don't know. When I was growing up, it was it was a lot more rough around the edges now it's kind of fancier in the there's just like one street that's the downtown and but it was a good place to grow up we just kind of ran ran in the woods and went to the community pool yeah kind of everybody everybody knows everybody sort of town everybody is in each other's business was it a suburb or like a smaller smaller than a suburb Mm, smaller than a suburb it's like a really small farming town it's very like farming and fishing and and tulips. Yeah. Did you have a farm? No, my, my dad. My dad was a fisherman for a long time, so they they lived there because there was a marina where he could keep his boat there, and he would drive it up to Alaska in the summers, and that was his job for a long time. How long does that take to drive to Alaska? I just asked him that the other day. He said it would take like a week or two on the way up. And then he said he'd do it a lot faster on the way back because he'd be so done being being in the boat <laughs> that he'd just, like, push through. But, Floor it. Yeah, but he'd kind of take his time on the way and, and tie all the all the lures and stuff that he'd need for the season on the way up while the boat drove. And So is that what he did when you grew up? He was a fisherman? Yeah, for a long time he, he did um, construction after that. But, yeah, for a long time he'd be gone for... 
you know, three to five months every summer, and, and we'd go visit him a time or two up there and stay on the boat um, when we were kids. So you were saying that everybody in your family played music growing up, um, but how did how did that happen that you wanted to pick up music? My dad's dad, my my grandfather lived with us for a while, and he played the violin, and I just loved it. I just remember whenever he'd play, I'd just lay at his feet, and I just remember thinking it was the most beautiful sound, and he and he was. He was real old and his hands were shaky and so it had this like the most beautiful old record of a sound to it and like a tremolo yeah that that was like you know rougher than a trained vibrato I I still think about it like every once in a while I'll hear somebody who plays like that where it's untrained but it's so has so much feeling to it and Mm. so I so I really wanted to play the violin always in, in a so I uh, my folks let me do lessons. There was like one a woman that would teach a lot of kids in the neighboring town. So I took lessons from her. And Vicky Archer was her name. I remember she was a little bit. She was pretty strict, but she was, she had like a dry sense of humor that I probably didn't understand very well when I was a kid. But I was like such a sensitive little kid. <laughs> she probably terrified me, but <laughs> I was like didn't understand that she was making fun of me. But but uh. Yeah, so I took violin lessons always, and and she'd do fiddle music in the summers, which is always because we did like Suzuki, Suzuki method. So it was a lot of memorizing and different variations of different songs, and but then she'd kind of let us cut loose and do fiddle tunes in the summer and do some teaching by ear, which I and that part I loved. I I think I've always loved the the less formatted music can be the the more drawn to it do you think how do you think the more like structured um education of the violin helped you with the, the more like learning by ear um i think the suzuki method i i think is really great in that way because it it kind of teaches half and half it's really it really tries to get you to listen to the sound you're making versus just like reading notes on a page so I'm always grateful that I started out even though I kind of like veered off the path after that I'm always glad to have started like that because it really you know it wants you to even even down to how you hold your body it kind of teaches you how to how to use your body to make a a smooth sound um how do you do that it's very. It's like you stand up straight. I remember she used to put a, she used to put a marble in the scroll of the violin. So, so if you were slouching or too low, your marble would fall out on the concrete floor, and it would be like, oh no, your marble fell out. And and uh, so I remember that. Was, would you be? Would there be like a few kids in your class all trying to balance marbles at once, or is it there, just one on one? There was, was sometimes one on one, and then and then we'd do it. There would be like group classes. I remember. I remember because one time a, I have such a vivid memory of a kid stepping through his fiddle because <laughs> he like got up to go to the bathroom or something, and we're all whatever nine years old or something, and and he just turned and he stepped and his foot just right through his fiddle and there's all these parents just groaning in the background (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you still play fiddle now? I do, yeah. I I do. That's kind of, I I play I kind of started before I wrote songs. I played in Portland with with some bands and kind of got into the music scene that way and and kind of came to songwriting late later like after college and and that just I don't know that just exploded my brain I guess in a way that nothing had ever I think I've always loved words so deeply and and kind of looked up to songwriters and, and as this this like way to tell a story that I really loved and and I tried a little bit to write with with fiddle and it never it never came out in a way it's hard, that yeah it? it never came out in a way that felt it's like good. too slippery yeah <laughs> and it's too like it's already a really vocal instrument I think there's like not a lot of space and maybe I had played it for a long time, so I, I like immediately judge myself on the fiddle too, where I, I start something and I immediately think, ah, oh, that's not good. And but I guitar, I didn't know anything, so I just every time I found a new chord, I, it just felt very free and and yeah. It's interesting to have you know you're so judgmental of yourself when you're trying to write songs on the fiddle, but. You know, you're learning to write songs, and then you're also learning to play the guitar. Like the two skills yeah. are forming together. Yeah, I'm always grateful for that. Oh, that always felt like this magical time to me, where I didn't, I wasn't doing it because I thought oh, I'm gonna do this for a job or anything. I just couldn't stop doing it, and I, I would wait till my roommates were gone, and then I would just like freak out by myself for six hours till they got home and just write and write and write and were you writing on the walls <laughs> yeah, yeah just uh, like a creepy <laughs> situation like, yeah, yeah welcome home guys yeah look what i did to our place <laughs> i've been busy <laughs> you're saying that you uh, have always loved poetry and writers like what are some writers that you admired that that uh, I feel like I read some something about the the way that you write songs um, makes you feel like a certain feeling of home or a certain opening hmm. you know like that feeling you get when you are listening to a story and it, and you connect with it like who are some writers that that did that for you I love Annie Pearl um, she has all these short stories and novels that are, I, there's something about the way she writes that's, it's like so unadorned, but it's so just dark and sparse. I, I love her writing, and Toni Morrison, I'm reading right now this, uh, probably my favorite book ever is Beloved. Have you ever read that? No. Oh, man, it's so. Did they make that into a movie? I think so, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it. What um, a cop-out response. They make that into a movie. <laughs> a motion picture. <laughs> I've seen that t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was her, yeah, her writing and Annie Dillard and, yeah, I don't know. I, I love when people can tell a story and it's, it's something that you've felt very deeply, but you didn't 
that you hadn't put words to it and then somebody else does and it feels like the biggest relief. Yeah. And you can't believe that somebody just said it so like succinctly because it felt so confusing to you. That's the thing in writing that always blows me away. Yeah, it's pretty magic. Yeah. You said you started writing after college. Where did you go to college? I went to the University of Portland. There's a nursing school there. I was going to be a nurse for one hot minute. And then... Like I, a hot minute, meaning like the four years you spent there? No, like <laughs> like one semester. No. And then I didn't drop out. I, I, I graduated in three years. I, I got a Spanish degree. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do or who I was. So I just kind of was there and I thought I should just power through and get some sort of degree because everyone seems to tell you that that's the way life works. Mm. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm really glad I did. I think it was a good, you know, I feel lucky to have gone there and it was a structured, a structured way to come undone maybe, which would have been better than if I would have just, you know, <laughs> come undone on my own time. Yeah. <laughs> what a good way to put college. <laughs> yeah. A structured way to come undone. <laughs> You are a writer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you were in um, the city, and then you decided to stay there after college. Yeah. The college is kind of in, like, on the north side of Portland, kind of away from everything. And and I'm from such a small town that I barely drove into the city in my car. I think I felt like where I was was a huge city, even though now I see that it isn't at all. And there's like a Fred Meyer. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Yeah, and then I then I moved. I right after college, I was like, okay, I'm gonna live by myself downtown in the city. And so I got this the cheapest apartment I could find right downtown. I was waiting tables. But kind of started writing at that downtown apartment, I think. I remember the first song I wrote there, my friend lent me a guitar for a while and I just had it in that apartment and I wrote this terrible song about whales whales having fun maybe I'm pretty sure it was the worst song ever (laughs) but I remember it feeling so good being like oh this is something I want to do more of your songs have like a really you have a be- really beautiful way of telling other people's stories in your songs. Thank Can you talk about how you might have acquired that skill? Like were there any storytellers in your family that you learned this from? Cuz I don't think it's super common for hmm. somebody to be like 22 years old and writing about other people, you know. I definitely write a fair amount of my own, especially in the beginning of my own woes but I I guess I kind of found like I remember hearing Gillian Welch for the first time or hearing Aeneas Mitchell I remember hearing her album Young Man in America it was like the first I was just writing the first kind of batch of songs I had ever written and it was so it just blew my mind that you could tell a story like that and then I don't know I guess you just you start down a rabbit hole when you when you find something that you're really drawn to and then it's totally never ending and like Josh Ritter I remember I was trimming weed 
one fall uh, with this band that I was playing fiddle with and this was like 12 hours a day of just bending over with these tiny scissors and I just listened to Josh Ritter over and over and over again and is this some kind of like karate kid thing? <laughs> no. You're like torturing yourself by like yeah. weeding with scissors and listening to the yeah. song. <laughs> I will become yeah. wax on wax yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just think yeah, I don't I just always think that the world is so noisy and it moves so fast and I've always felt like I can't say or I'm not good at saying what I'm trying to say or or like as I'm now demonstrating, like having, <laughs> like having a like settling on what I mean and having it hold weight. And that's just, I've just always been very quiet, I guess, or, or nervous about speaking because of that. And I, I think those songwriters and, and some writers that, that I've found really like opened that door to me of, oh, you can, you don't have to say it factually. You can, you can say it how it feels and that's also a completely worthy way to to tell something you know yeah that's so true just been living in a world where you need like numbers yeah to back up what you're saying but feeling is i think feeling is important yeah so you mentioned that you're a little bit a little quiet can you talk about a little bit more about what it's like to be an introvert which i have read that that is (laughs) one of your identifying factors, um, to be an introvert in such a public profession. Yeah. I've been so grateful for, for music and performing for that reason. I, f- I feel like it's taught, taught me how to be around people and kind of communicate with people and, and hear them and be open to people in a way that I definitely didn't know how to and you know still have trouble with I, I don't know I I think I'm just a one-on-one person and so I like to take my time and and know somebody mm. that way and I, like a party is the last place I want to be and so performing I don't think it's my natural like oh great big room of people you're going to stand in front of them and sing your diary it's like, you know, but but I love it because I, f- I feel like in the right situations or when I, when I feel like I'm saying something true and then, then suddenly you're having this conversation with people that, that I was never used to getting to have where mm. you say something that means something to you and then maybe somebody feels something and then after the show they come up and they say, oh, this... Like that song really made me think of this thing in my life that was that was so hard or that was so impactful and I get I don't know, yeah I guess I just never knew how to get to that place with people bef- before music and that makes so much sense you know like when you think I don't know if you have any performance anxiety or not oh yeah I'm yeah totally yeah. <laughs> so, but what's what's beautiful about what you're saying is that if you get past that performance anxiety, it sounds like the reward is that you get to present yourself 
to a room full of people in a medium you wouldn't otherwise get to do. Yeah, yeah. So is that what you tell yourself when you're like, oh, God. Yeah, you get to do this. (laughs) Come on, girl. (laughs) Yeah. Stop sweating and get out there. Yeah, yeah. I've never thought about that. So I'm not a songwriter, and I have to sometimes get up in front of people, and I don't have that reward of like, oh, I get to explain to, I get to show people my true heart. You know, it's (laughs) just like I'm announcing somebody on stage, and I don't want to be up here, and it's very scary. And that's like, that to me is so much more terrifying. I can't, like, to have to speak ever is, oh, I don't know how you do that, because... Yeah, that seems way different to me. Yeah, you just kind of just do it until you just are like yeah. numb. Now I'm I just guess. here. Yeah, yeah, here I am having a great time. <laughs> I've heard performers say that when they're playing the songs, that feels the best, but then the in between parts are the hard parts. Yeah, I think that's so true. I feel like I'm getting getting more and more comfortable, but I definitely once. I'm actually playing. I feel like, oh, okay, this this is great. This is what you know. This is what I want to be doing. I'm trying. I'm trying to work really hard lately on on letting a show happen the way it feels like it wants to. Kind of almost like mm. it's not yours to shape. Sometimes I'll try so hard to. I feel like people are wanting a certain thing, or they need more humor, or they need longer stories or something and that and maybe it's not it's just not going to happen out of me sometimes and so I'll, I'll put all this pressure on it is it all in your head like how do you measure probably yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> like the way that maybe somebody is just like sleepy yeah they woke up early and there's a like, heavy oh, heavy breather in the front yeah. row and I just think they're yeah I don't know I, th- I think it's such a funny thing to do but it when it goes well or when you feel like you connected with people, it's the most amazing thing. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the people that you listed, the musicians, like what they do in between songs. I don't think Gillian Welch does anything. And yeah. I think Aeneas and Josh are just like lovely and just charming. Do, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Josh just smiles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I'm the friendliest guy in the yeah. world. Everything's cool. And then it's yeah. all taken care of. Um, when you are writing somebody else's story, how are you compelled to tell like a particular individual story? I don't know if you can explain that process or not. It's it's kind of different, or it kind of depends, I guess, on, you know, I, I think sometimes I'm trying really hard to, to tell it truthfully, like a whole story from beginning to end, and, and sometimes it um, it feels good to let there be some, some like magical bits, kind of that that let it let it breathe, or or it'll be like an amalgam of multiple stories that feel this that f- have the same feeling to them. But a lot of times, I'll write a few versions, and or I'll start. You know, if a story really strikes me or I have an idea and I start it a few different ways and it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel good and there's something like I'm not I'm not getting it right and especially especially when it's actually somebody's story that I've met, I there'll be a lot of times when I'm not getting it right or I'm 
I'm like dramatizing it in a way that it doesn't need or I'm not I'm not respecting the story or something and then and sometimes I'll never I'll just have to let it go and sometimes I'll eventually feel like I you know told it in a way that 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 person would would feel that they sounds like a lot of responsibility I don't know (laughs) (laughs) but I know a lot of times there's like so much fiction in in that stuff it's it's like the basis of a story that's real and then and then you kind of fill in all the spaces to to give it the feeling that you're looking for so specifically when you are like meeting people and maybe somebody comes up to you to you after a show or you meet somebody in a store. Yeah. What is it about like a particular person that makes you makes your brain go, "Oh. <laughs> I'm going to pay more attention here and write about this person later." Hmm. And then do you try to like interact with them anymore? Like do you try to study them or I think it always surprises me too. Or like you're kind of just out in the world, and and some people need to talk. It just seems like they just need to talk to somebody. And I've always really liked that situation, for the most part. You, you know, <laughs> unless you're just like stuck in a bar and some, yeah, somebody's cornered you and. I don't know. I guess sometimes there's like a somebody tells you something and it just won't fade from your mind ever and you just know it and you carry it around forever and you think about them and and you wonder what they're doing now, or how they're doing and I think I think I mean I definitely have experienced that where you yeah. meet somebody for like a flashing second and then you find yourself thinking about them like for me it's usually just like later on in the day, like not like days yeah. or weeks afterwards. But that's that's cool. You can you want to like further tell their story in a way. It's nice. Yeah, and sometimes I think that stuff gets all mixed in. It'll be like multiple people that you meet over the course of a few months that all like all they all lost their job or something and you keep and it just keeps compounding and you think, ah, that's a like you just feel feel all those people start to talk in your head and Yeah. Do you put a bit of yourself into these character songs or are you like point for point invoking other characters? I'm sure I definitely get in there. Well, you just even tell you you know telling a someone's story that you don't know well, you don't know how they actually feel or I think that's the reason I sometimes have to write them a lot of times or it doesn't feel right oh cuz I'm I think Maybe I'm not the person who should be telling this story. You're like projecting. Yeah, it's not mine to tell, or am I telling this because I want to? Even like, am I telling this story because I want to tell a story like this, or am I telling this because I, because I want to do justice to this story? Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I think it's definitely just your your reaction to people and their stories is what you know what ends up being what the story is. The feeling is based on right probably are you so what are you getting out of writing about other people like this um songwriters when they write about their feelings it helps them process 
their feelings and like basically like figure out like what they're thinking sometimes. Yeah. Um, do you find that with, with these types of character songs? Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like it helps so much to, I, I just think that you, you come in contact with so many people and everybody's having these like bags of emotion and struggle and I don't know. I, f I feel like when I, just in telling a story, it helps to see them, or it, you, it helps to like connect yourself to somebody that you, that you felt connected to, or you, you like saw a struggle in them that's a struggle in you, and just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Stop right there. That's okay, good. great. <laughs> that's all I got. Um, so, how do you connect to vulnerability as a songwriter? And as a performer, I think I'm trying to connect to it more. <laughs> I think it's one of the things I'm learning is most important in kind of doing doing this. I feel like I get smacked in the face over and over again by the realization that the more open and vulnerable I'm willing to be with people, the the more that's returned and, and the more you just make real relationships with people and I don't for whatever reason I didn't it took me a weird long time to to realize that if you really let yourself out you would have true friends because it's terrifying it's terrifying yes. why is it so terrifying because <laughs> you've been hurt yeah and I yeah if I find that in in performing or in writing so much. Like I, de I definitely used to drink a lot to to have a buffer wall between, you know, being in in bars and in big groups of people and, and, and just able to, like, be at the level that other people are at and talking and being open and mm. and it just helped so much, but I... But I also don't feel like it helped me to be more more vulnerable. It just helped me to be more loud, mm. you know. Or to and I and I felt like oh, okay, now I'm as loud as everybody, or I'm like part of this party that's happening around me always, but that I'm like would rather watch from the corner. But I, I guess in the past few years, I've I've realized that that I am just somebody who likes to watch from the corner, and that's like a way another way you know I had a um I had a friend who's also a songwriter say that her ideal party is like having all of the people at the party but her just like reading a book in the corner oh yes <laughs> totally <laughs> where's this person <laughs> do you know uh, Maya Dimitri yeah yeah, that's yeah. Her. <laughs> yeah oh she's so great yeah so you guys can, you probably could yeah, read books could together. could sit next to each other and not, party. and not talk, yeah. <laughs> at the introvert party. Yeah. I've read that, like, after your shows, people will hear you sing about other people's songs and open up to you. Is that is that true? And why do you think people find it so easy to open up to you? I think it's just, I mean, I, th I think it's maybe a, th a thing with with art or, or music that, made you feel something or somebody somebody did something vulnerable in front of you and you feel a lot more okay or that you feel welcome to 
to do the same. You know, they didn't just give a speech about biology and you feel like they're in this like level far above you or something and you could never tell them how you feel but if somebody does something really kind of like raw in front of you then I don't know I always feel like oh that they must understand or they they like it would be okay for me to to let this scary thing out and yeah, that, that's. I think my very favorite part of touring is when when stuff like that happens. When you know, if, if something that that I wrote could make somebody feel okay, letting something out, that's the the thing to me. It's a service to humanity. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's just it just feels. Good. I don't know. Just that just feels so good to me. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for doing this. Good conversation. And there you have it. That's my conversation with Anna Tivill, whose new album, The Question, is coming out on April 19th, 2019. Might I also suggest you head to Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you stream music or wherever you purchase music and look up her previous albums. She has three previous albums. The latest one, Small Believer, so good. It's it just it's heart opening, it's heartwarming. She's just a, a really good at what she does. And I really enjoyed talking to her. I really liked her sense of humor. It was unexpected, you know, when you are talking to somebody who leaves a lot of space between words. Uh, so I tend to be pretty anxious and want to like fill up the fill up the space, fill up the space. But it was very, it was a great exercise in talking to Anna Tivill, who leaves lots of room in the conversation. However, she still was very quick witted, which I much appreciated. Anyways, Anna Tivill, don't forget her album The Question coming out April nineteenth. Thank you again to. Alex Stanton of the band Townspeople for uh, giving us our music, for doing our music on Basic Folk, and thanks to Laura McCarthy for her support on the podcast. Thanks to Janelle Gutierrez for uh, help on my website and creating my website, cindyhouse.net. Thanks to Anna's manager, Stephen Foxberry, for just being an all-around great guy. We'll see you next week on Basic Folk. I'm Cindy House. You can subscribe to the podcast. Also, you can feel free to leave a review, five-star review. That would be awesome. Okay, have a good week. See you later. Bye.